0: This week on Fan for Thought, which came first, the shipper or the ship? Does the subtext create the fanfiction, or does the fan's creativity bring that meaning to the screen or page? And how does shipping affect fandom and the show-slash-audience relationship? Strap on your life vest, folks, because this ship is setting sail. Let's start by getting everyone on the same page. A ship, short for relationship, is the pairing of two people, usually fictional, in a romantic relationship, and shipping is the action version. Some ships are canon, or official in the source material, but most are fanon, or only exist in the world of fandom. Many ships are slash ships, which are ships involving two people of the same gender. The word slash, as well as shipping as a whole, can be traced back to Star Trek, specifically Captain James T. Kirk and Officer Spock. Kirk and Spock, or K slash S, is the original ship. In the 53 years since, particularly with the introduction of the internet, shipping has exploded. And in 2019, shipping is often a cornerstone of the fan experience. It spawns so much creative work and conversation, and for some, a ship can be just as, if not more important than the original work it stems from. Today we are dropping anchor and diving into three major ships from three popular shows and fandoms. The first ship is Quentin Coldwater and Elliot Waugh, or Quelliot, from Sci-Fi's The Magicians. From the first episode, their chemistry was clear.
1: Quentin Coldwater? Uh-huh. I'm Elliot. You're late. Follow me.
0: And even an episode later, the subtext had become just overt. How
1: about I find you, and I don't say magic is real, but I do seduce you, and so lift your spirits that life retains its sparkle for decades. Yeah, that sounds nice, thank you.
0: Over the first two seasons, it primarily remained at just that, flirty remarks, other than an ill-timed, drunken threesome with their best friend, Margot. However, seasons three and four saw developments that gave Quelliot fans hope for the two to be endgame. My first guest is Jessica Mason, writer for The Mary Sue and Quelliot Enthusiast. Warning, magician spoilers ahead. How long did it take from starting the show for you to start shipping
2: Quentin and Elliot?
1: I think I always kind of liked the idea, but I was so, I'm so conditioned by every other piece of media. I'm like, oh, well, they're cute, but it's never going to happen. And then the Day in the Life episode happened, or Life in the Day, and it was just so good. I'm like, well, if I just get this. It's more than I've ever gotten out of most media where I have shipped a same-sex couple. Season three saw the quest for seven keys to restore magic. In
0: episode five, titled A Life in the Day, the quest takes Elliot and Quentin to Fillory, the magician's version of Narnia, but over 50 years in the past. They'll receive the third of seven keys when they solve a mosaic. 784 tiles depicting, quote, the beauty of all life, unquote. In the blink of an eye, a year has passed, and on their anniversary, this happens.
1: Hey, hey. I, um.
0: In case the face-sucking sounds weren't obvious, they passionately made out. Then, they live an entire life. Quentin meets a woman named Ariel, a peaches and plums farmer. And the three of them have a family and a son, all while trying to solve the mosaic. Finally, in their old age, Elliot passes away, and as Quentin begins to dig a grave, he finds a missing mosaic tile, which is the key to, well, the key. Now, because hashtag magic, Margo actually stops them before they travel back in time in the first place. However, also because hashtag magic, they end up remembering all of it.
1: I totally cried watching it because it's such a beautiful sequence and I wasn't expecting it to like go with the time travel or for them to even remember it. And we had a family. Oh, how, how do we remember that? I don't know. So it was really a beautiful surprise, and I just love to see that those characters come together. The way they brought that back to it this season has been really amazing and just like, well, now I'll die for them. Season four has had a lot of upsides, but
0: a serious lack of Elliot has been quite a bummer. Episode five, exactly a season after a life in the day, we finally saw what Elliot is up to while the monster possesses him. The plot reveals that after they remembered their life together, Quentin asked if they could continue their relationship but Elliot rejected him out of fear of happiness. Finally, in the climax of the episode, Elliot breaks through the monster's possession.
1: It's Elliot. No, bullshit, come on. Fifty years. Who gets proof of concept like that? What? Peaches and plums, motherfucker. I'm alive in here. Elliot.
0: At the end of the episode, Quentin shuts the door on any relationship with Alice, and then he spends the rest of the season hell-bent on saving Elliot.
1: I think what they really did was sort of reframe the central love story from Quentin and Alice to Quentin and Elliot, which is, I think, sort of the other half of Escape from the Happy Place was the real death knell for his relationship with Alice. The idea that that really resolved their relationship. And so I think that that's the other side of that coin, was moving the love story for Quentin, who's still theoretically the protagonist of the show, from being about Alice to being about Elliot and seeing that that's a much less toxic and much more tender love between them and actually is inspiring them to do good things and be better people. And I thought that was really kind of changed both their character, all three of those characters really reframe them in a really interesting way and in a much more dramatic way and raised the stakes on the whole thing really well. Because now I want Elliot back and I want the monster gone, but I also want him back because Quentin's like in love with this poor ding dong and... Needs to tell him. Just accept the love in your life, Elliot. How hard can that be? It's very hard for this poor broken boy. And I love that. I love how messy all the characters are in this show. That they're all very flawed, but they're slowly growing. This interview was recorded
0: on March 25th, just before episode 10 of season 4. I asked Jess where she thought Quelliot might be heading
1: there's predicting and what i want which are usually two different things like i'd like to have some resolution to the monster where we do get another scene with actual quentin and actual Elliot together just having a moment i don't know if that will happen but i'm pretty sure something horrible will happen <laughs> that it won't be like they won't be in a happy stable relationship but i do hope they get some time together and i'm sure the monster i don't know if he'll be at one-season enemy or if he'll be resolved this season or he'll lead to, you know, a bigger bad. So as I, what I love about the show is I have no idea what's going to happen in the structure because their structure is just so different. When Elliot is Elliot and Quentin is Quentin, do you see Quelliot
0: being endgame?
1: I feel like that's where the narrative wants us to hope it's going. So I can see that being the end game, But again, with this show, you never know. Like, they could all become gods, Who they could all become lizards, they could all become, like, you know, sloths. Who knows? Since we talked, the season
0: 4 finale aired in which Quentin sacrificed himself to save his friends, and the world. Suffice it to say, the fandom is pretty heartbroken and not pleased. But this is my podcast, so I'm only going to speak on my feelings. I sobbed through the second half of the episode and for an hour after, my roommates can attest to it. Partially because I really loved Quentin, and partially because it was written so beautifully. As for the real world repercussions, I don't agree that this is just another case of quote bear your gaze unquote, or the trope of disproportionately killing off LGBTQ characters because they're seen as more expendable, or to drive the development and stories of the straight characters. Yes, Q was bi. And that's not something to throw to the side. But reducing him to, quote, a dead bisexual, unquote, to fit a statistic or argument, disrespects the story and Quentin. According to the showrunners, his death was planned from the beginning of the season. So I do absolutely think that propelling the Quelliot storyline forward, while knowing this would be their fate, was irresponsible and unkind. But Quentin died heroically, and both within the story and in the real world. That deserves to be remembered. To be clear, I do very much care about Barry Your Gaze. It's a really serious issue in media. One show that is actively working against the trope is Sci-Fi's Winona Earp. Title character Wynona's Little Sister Waverly and Deputy Sheriff Nicole Hot make up the show's main romance and ship, Way Hot. When she's introduced in the pilot, she's in a relationship with a meathead boyfriend literally named Champ. But it's clear that they have zero chemistry compared to Waverly and new Deputy Sheriff Nicole Hott.
1: Good
0: job. You're not some guy, right?
3: This would be really, really awkward. <sighs> um... I-I owe you one. All right. Well, how about you buy me that cup of coffee? How about tonight? Oh, I can't. Okay. No.
0: I mean, I'd love to. But li- Like-like to, uh... Becky Hausman is an editor for an online pop culture magazine and the writing manager for Random Acts, a nonprofit founded by actor Misha Collins, and is my next guest here to talk all things way hot. There was
3: an incredible amount of sparks that flew just from their first meeting, and they didn't try and downplay it at all. The writers knew what they were about. They knew the direction that things were going, and so they had those two checking each other out from the get. So I was I was 100%
0: on board from the start. And and you thought it was going to be canon. You had no doubt in your mind. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I was like, yep. But I had heard about Winona Earp, that they had a lesbian relationship, that they had out LGBT characters, that that was a value of theirs, so... In a nice way, I knew my heart was safe there in shipping that. It was really delightful to watch on a couple levels the relationship between the two of them progress from the flirting stages to is this a relationship to the honeymoon phase to, you know, where they are right now, which is more of, you know, working through their problems kind of-ish, especially into the third season. It being the only consistent thing has definitely given it more validity, I think as far as, like, these are two characters that are really in love as opposed to Winona, who is shipped with dolls, who is shipped with Doc, who's shipped with a million other people, Um, which is perfectly fine, but it's given them more of, like, a rosier sheen. They're very protective of one another, which I think we see that a lot in, like, heterosexual ships where there's more of kind of traditional male-female dynamics there at play. I like that these two characters tend to switch it up, depending on, you know, who's more protective of who, because they both have their own strengths and weaknesses.
1: I can't believe I ordered you to shoot her.
0: I almost did it, too. I would shoot anybody for you. That's really sweet. Earlier I mentioned the harmful media trope called Bury Your Gaze, and that Winona Herb is making a conscious effort to combat it. Early on in the first season, showrunner Emily Andrus confirmed that neither Waverly nor Nicole would die in the first season. And since then, the show's writers and producers continue to promote and advocate for WayHot. For many, including Becky, this has been a huge factor as a shipper and a fan.
3: That trope inevitably leads to LGBT characters viewed as secondary in whatever media they're in, so they can't, you, like, you're not You gonna kill off your main character, you'll kill off your side character to provide your main character with pain. When Emily Andrus was like, we're not gonna kill our gays here, that puts such a, like, an importance on those characters, even as secondary characters, because that said that, because when you kill your gay, when you kill somebody in a show, it's to provide your main character with some kind of pain point so that they can learn from it. But by not killing them, it said that their main characters specifically winona would be so affected by whatever pain points the secondary characters had would be so involved with them they wouldn't need to kill them for that to still be a driving factor in the direction of the show in the drama of the show i thought that was incredibly classy of her incredibly bold of her to come out with that. I think for a lot of people in the LGBT community, that spoke to their hearts like, hey, look, this is a show where I will feel safe. Some crap happens to Nicole Waverly. Like, they don't have an easy time at it. Just because they live doesn't mean they have great lives. Which is kind of um, the
0: center of Winona Herb to begin with. Yeah. I'm gonna be here when you wake up, okay? And we're gonna do all of her sorries then, okay?
3: We're gonna have a big old sorry party. I'll make hats. <laughs> if I don't, no matter what happens, I need you to know that I've never loved anyone the way that I love you. Oh. It's not like it's great for them, but that's drama, that's television, that's how you make a good plot. You don't have to kill somebody to actually drive a plot. Nicole and Waverly's sexualities is such a secondary issue to their main character. That's, I mean, that's another thing that I really love about the series is is like, we're not talking about our token lesbian. We're talking about Nicole who is many things. Also, she likes women, you know? What a concept. (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. (laughs) Let's get real bold. (laughs) I love that Waverly is just in the beginning discovery stages of her bisexuality or even, you know, they really never even, and this is something I really appreciate about the writers, they really never call Waverly bisexual. So before Nicole, she was only with men. Now she's obviously with Nicole. They show her attracted to other women in the show. They never really say, like, she is a bisexual or she's a lesbian. But either way, they just kind of let her figure out her own sexuality So as somebody who is bisexual, who has kind of gone on some journeys like that, I really appreciate watching her do that and then the way Nicole kind of helps her through that.
0: Winona Earp season three ended last summer with Nicole and Waverly somewhat on the rocks, not currently together, but their relationship has a long, albeit bumpy road ahead of it.
3: Oh, it'll never look all that good, but they'll be together through it. That's the point. I would love to see them get married. I think you can do a lot with a long-term relationship and keep the drama and the plot alive. It's not like when we get married, everything goes boring. Well, for most people. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't
0: see them being separated for long?
3: Um, No, I think the writers and the showrunner especially, Emily, is fantastic. Really understand that Waverly and Nicole have a different spot in the history of television then doc and winona then Mulder and scully i think they'll really respect that place and so i think they'll never do anything i don't know maybe they'll surprise me but i really don't think they'll ever do anything all that damaging to nicole and waverly they'll just show what it's like to actually you know have two women love each other for the rest of their lives what a concept
0: what a concept Finally, one of the most popular ships at this time, with over 75,000 works, on the top fanfiction website, Archive of Our Own, that over a decade still has yet to be canon. That's right, we're talking Destiel. Castiel, Angel of the Lord, first appeared on The CW's Supernatural on September 18, 2008. From my research, the first fanfiction pairing him with Dean Winchester, one of the show's main characters, was posted on fanfiction.net less than 24 hours later. There's no denying that even in canon, Dean and Cass have a strong connection.
2: Dean and I do share a more profound bond.
0: And yet, as I mentioned before, in the over ten years since they met, they have never been anything other than friends within the show. But that has not stopped fans from holding out hope and telling their own stories in the meantime. Sydney Hayes, co-host of the podcast It's Not Natural, joins me as my final guest to talk all things flannel and trench coat.
2: Above all, it's just like this really against-all-odds love story. It's something that would bring a lot of representation. Is someone who loves the characters so much, I think that it's something that would make both of them happy. And so being someone who just wants a happy endgame for them in general, something like that would just be so great. I think that there's a bond between the two characters that was not intended to be the way it was, I don't think that Destiel was ever anything that was intentional, and that it kind of came about against all odds, um, for me, is what kind of makes it special. Shipping something that isn't canon is tough, and it's at times disheartening, and there's always, not just in Destiel, but any ship that's not canon, there's always people who are going to be against it for one reason or another. And so it's almost this feeling where you feel like you're kind of against all odds, too, because... You believe in something so wholeheartedly, and there's still people who refuse to see it or don't see it. As
0: a non-canon ship, Destiel faces its own set of representational issues. Primarily that many consider the written interactions between Dean and Cass to be queer baiting, or the suggestion of a queer relationship without actually having it materialize. It's fair to say that there have been more than a few suggestive moments over the past 10 years.
1: Sorry, uh, you have been confused with the other angel? You know, the one in the dirty trench coat who's in love
2: with you? Oh, gosh, not for nothing, but the last person who looked at me like that, I got laid.
0: But maybe it's just a long, beautiful love story in the making.
2: I think that at this point in time, it would be too preemptive to say that it's queer baiting. If the show ends and nothing happens, I think that, yeah, because they were aware of it and because they played to it, that's exactly what it is, but I hesitate to call it queer baiting at this point in time.
0: A big announcement was made uh, just last week that season 15 next season will be the last season of Supernatural. Where are you in terms of predictions or hope that L will be canon by the end of the show?
2: I don't want to predict that it will. I'll go as far as to say I still do have hope that it could. I still feel like if anything happens that it's going to be them kind of leaving it open-ended for our own benefit, which in a part I get, but also I don't want that. I want them to go, uh, you know, all or none. At this point, they either need to pull the trigger or they need to pull back on it because I feel like it's been so overt lately that it feels like it's building towards something and not just the end of the show. And so I would love to see it become canon. I have hope that it will become canon, but I don't know how much hope I have in the writers <laughs>
1: to do it.
0: What would canon L look like to you?
2: <laughs> it would look exactly like it does now. <laughs> I mean, really, though. I don't see either one of them being like mushy-gushy romantics or anything like that. I see it being like grumpy softness. Which is what it is now. Which is what it is now, exactly. So I don't really see it being much different aside from an actual voiced canonization. If I was to write it myself, I think that it would be something subtle. It would be something that you couldn't misconstrue for anything else, but it would be very subtle and it would be kind of just like everyone just moves on because nothing's changed. Like everything's the exact same as it was before. And so that's how I would prefer it to be. A grand gesture, I feel like, is neither of those characters. Um, and so for me, it would be something very, very subtle, but something that you know for sure as a viewer, it's not platonic, it's definitely romantic.
0: Because again, the the vagueness is what we already
2: have. Right, exactly, we're already there. I mean, it's just, it, just that little step away.
0: Canon or not, Destiel has thrived in fan spaces, both online and in person. There was even a L con in the summer of 2014 in Cincinnati. Destiel is one of the most popular tags on Tumblr and one of the most written about relationships in fandom. But for many, the community
2: only started
0: with the ship and has grown to be so much more. For me,
2: since shipping Destiel, it's enriched my fandom experience a lot. I didn't really know what shipping was. I wasn't even really aware, I don't think, to the proper extent of what fandom was until I found the supernatural fandom but it definitely enriches the experience I feel like I never really found my group of people until I found the Dusty L shippers they were the ones that made me feel included and I felt like I could be myself and I've met so many people through the Dusty L groups specific Dusty L groups that have become very 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 good friends and so even through all the warring or anything like that, people disagreeing, I think that it still definitely heightened my experience in fandom and made me enjoy it so much more. Honestly, if it wasn't for the Destiel fandom, I probably wouldn't still be in the Supernatural fandom.
0: These were just three of literally thousands of ships. It's almost a rule of the fandom verse at this point. I hope this gave you a little bit of an insight into the what and why of shipping. Until next time, I'm Emily Cole, giving you a little bit of Fan for Thought.